Welcome to Rockin' All Week with you, Season 4, Episode 5. I'm Dan, I'm your host, I'm the guy who's going to be yakking at you throughout this. Uh, yowza, yowza! Uh, so this episode we are talking Muckrakers, the Muckrakers, sorry, and a.k.a. the Fonz. The Muckrakers, November 23rd, 1976, a Thanksgiving episode, well, Thanksgiving adjacent this is one of those seasons where we're getting several sort of holiday-adjacent episodes, and this is one of them, The Muckrakers. And then A.K. The Fonz is November 30th, 1976. Uh, well, let's dive right in, shall we? Um, feeling pretty good today. It's been, a, it's been a long week where I am, and I feel like, um, I, I, feel like I could uh, sleep for about 100 hours. But um, I'm not going to because I'm going to talk and talk. So anyway, regardless, I'm sitting here, I've got an apple, I've got a glass of water. Oh, yeah. Um, where's my water? It's way over there. So regardless, um, I'm feeling okay right now, and I'm ready to talk some happy days with you guys. We're going back to Milwaukee. I don't know, did you guys see the, um, the, the happy days reunion they did? Uh, jeez. It's about a week before, uh, the election, uh, where they, they got, um, uh, there, uh, Henry Winkler, Donnie Most, uh, Ron Howard, Ansel Williams, um, Lowell Gans was there for heaven's sake, um, and a bunch of folks filling in for other characters, and they did a reading. I, I missed, I missed the first thing because I, I was, I was told it was airing at a certain time, and I didn't take um, time zones into consideration. So when I joined, I missed the first reading. But the second reading they did was the episode. Um, geez, which episode was it? The one where Fonzie's. Um, where Ralph destroys Fonzie's motorcycle. I forget the name of it. I'll have it for you later. But it was really fun to see them reading it. It was really great to see all of them go back into their character and like Henry Winkler, you know, who looks like your your grandpa right now. So you go, hey, go, go right back into it. It was, it made me very happy. I ended up donating like a hundred bucks <laughs> to it in the end. Ah, there you go. So anyway, uh, what are we at? We're the Muckrakers, written by Alan Mandel and Charles Shire and directed by Jerry Paris. I gave you the date on it already. This one starts off with uh, there are troubles at school. They've got a new cook. Um, I want to say it's like there's a guy named Curly and like Lefty and Curly or something like these two these two guys and and there's a new cook and apparently all the stuff they're cooking is making everyone sick. At the beginning of the episode, we learn that Richie's been sick, Ralph is very sick, and Potsy ate the meatloaf and broke off a cap on his tooth because there was a bone in the meat. And when he takes like he takes like the bone out of his po- pocket, I know. Don't calm down. He takes the the actual bone that was in the meatloaf. Uh, oh, that is even worse. But he takes his little chunk of of animal bone out out of his pocket. It's a pretty big freaking piece of bone. I mean, that's dangerous. Very dangerous. So uh, Richie, who is a senior, obviously at the school, there I think they're gonna be graduating later in the season, wants to be a star reporter, and he's on the school newspaper. So he. He basically he goes undercover to try to find out what's going on and does learn that these guys are taking the good meat that the school is getting, selling it to local restaurants, and using um, not-so-good meat uh, to feed to the students, and apparently getting a lot of them very sick. 
and so yeah, so so um, Richie finds out about this and prints it. It gets printed in the school newspaper, and he becomes kind of a hero. He becomes kind of that star reporter he's always wanted to be. But one of the things that happens is the Fonz kind of randomly, for no reason, shows up in the kitchen as Richie is there trying to work undercover, and the Fonz encounters a plate of liver. You know, as in liver to eat, liver onions kind of thing. And we learn that liver is like kryptonite to the Fonz. And Richie finds it amusing. And he, for his next article, Richie's going to write an article on how the first article happened. And he's going to include a little bit on the Fonz being scared of liver. The Fonz asks him not to print that because he thinks it's embarrassing. And and two, it has nothing to do with anything. Richie has been told by the Fonz that if you print the truth... That's all you need to do. And he says, that's the truth, Fonz. You're scared of liver. So the Fonz and Richie uh, kind of break up. And things get a little uncomfortable as we approach the turkey dance. I think it's the turkey hop. I was going to say the turkey trot. But that's what um, they were all getting after eating that bad food at the cafeteria. But the turkey hop at uh, Arnold's. And uh, and uh, Al dresses as a, as a pilgrim. And he does, in fact, like Mr. C says, look, look like a character's off a Dutch master's cigar box. So uh, let me play you a little something. And, um, yeah, we'll get right back here. like this episode in the end but i think it takes some dumb directions to get there it's almost simpsons like in that the first third to almost not quite a half is about sort of trying to blow open this thing with the the tainted meat or whatever the heck it is that they're being fed the kids i mean this is pretty horrible right so they they they, they hired a new chef at the school and since they've hired a new chef all the kids are getting sick and no one thinks to um you know Maybe, you know, look into it. Richie's the one who has to look into it. I mean, surely there. Uh, I mean, the, the nurse must. I mean, even 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 the, the cook himself, the chef himself, says a lot of kids are getting sick. If if it all started when the new cook arrived, wouldn't that lead some? Wouldn't you look there? I don't know. It's it seems slightly weird to me, and it seems like in the first half that it's building to. Th- something happening with that but then the moment the scene is done with Richie and Fonzie in the kitchen immediately you see the headline and and Richie's blown it all open and now he's a star reporter and then the second half is all about the liver and Richie and Fonzie's um uh falling out and it's not it's there there's a really nice moment at the end when they make up and there's a lone ranger Tonto um comparison sort of compare contrast sort of done uh which is really uh i think a nice nice moment but it's super contrived this thing with the liver is super contrived and henry winkler uh you know i adore him but he maybe goes a little over the top trying to get away from the liver and here we really get the i think we really get We really get the Richie is becoming kind of a douche sort of thing. I've said to this, I've said this to you before, 
as as he I think as the show goes along, especially when Lori Beth shows up, Richie becomes more and more of kind of like a jerk. And it's like, you know, he's growing up, he's learning. But some of the stuff he's learned I mean, like the lesson he learns here is something that like the beef would have learned, you know, when he was at the, you know, in the first or second season of Leave of the Beaver, when the Beaver was, what, like 10 or 11 or 12, something like that, you know, 8, 9, 7, how old was he? You know, it just seems like that, you know, just, um, you know, um, don't, you know, don't hurt your friends. Don't go out of your way to hurt your best friends. You know, that's not nice. That's the lesson we learn in this episode. But for some reason, it's, um, I don't know if they felt they had to solidify Fonzie and, and, and Richie's relationship again, um, but it's it's a bit of a strange... It's a bit of a strange... I, I guess there are several ways I can come at this. I would just say it's weird that when Richie goes... It's, it's just weird that when Richie goes into the kitchen, he dresses kind of nerdy, and he has a broom, and he pretends to be like a Swedish exchange student. And the guys are none the wiser. The two, Curly and the other guy, they're none the wiser. You know, they've got their rotten meat that they're going to serve to the kids, and they... Uh, they're amused by this exchange student who's in there. And they're even amused when they find him taking pictures or trying to take pictures of the tainted meat. They even pose for a picture themselves, which just seems weird. It's one of those, again, it's one of those weird sitcom things where, you know, like more or less like poisoning students with bad meat is not funny. And yet, because it's a sitcom, we're constantly laughing at Richie being goofy, and even Lefty and his friend being goofy, and everything being goofy. And when when the Fon shows up, it's it get, that scene gets even weirder because the Fon just he's like, "Hey, I knew you were to come down here, go undercover. I just want to see what you were up to. Hey, what's happening? You know." And it's like the the Lefty and the guy have just left the room to take some of the meat, the good meat, out to like a truck. And and Richie needs to get these pictures taken as quick as possible. But the Fonz suddenly says, "Hey, you got a camera? Let me get some shots of you." Hey, all right, yeah, do that. And it's like, Fonzie, why are you, why are you doing that? Why? And it's it just seems so weird because you sit there watching the scene, thinking, guys, you got to take the freaking pictures. Guys, you got to take the freaking pictures. And all they're doing is goofing around. And the liver shows up. That that seems to go on for quite some time. It's like, could we please? I, I know it's a sitcom, and we got to keep the jokes going, but. I mean, come on, let's let's um let's do something here. Let's I mean Richie is there to take these pictures of these things. Fonzie knows that. Why is Fonzie stopping him for like a photo session? You know, why isn't Fonzie taking the pictures of the freaking meat before he sees a little oh. It's 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 kind of a it's it is one of those maddening seeds that you will see more and more in sitcoms that the seventies go along into the eighties that I've talked about before where I said, you know, it's kind of a serious situation and I understand throwing some comedy into it but they make it all for comedy which robs it of any kind of there should be something there there should be some sort of suspense or something there you know like and but it's like the Fonz is oblivious to what Richie has to do Richie doesn't seem that sped up you know Richie doesn't seem that you know moving that fast the guys lefty and his friend they don't seem to care either so it's like you get to the end of the scene you're like okay what happened and then it's like he he blew the roof off that okay that's great that's great so that's over then it seems like there should be more to it than that (laughs) but it really is just two jerks selling you know the good meat leaving the cooking with the tainted meat Um, how long did you think that was going to last you know, and and the um, I think it's Curly says something like um, uh, or left. I don't know, remember their names. I think one guy Curly says, "Just wait till what happens when we start using the bad vegetables." I thought, how is that going to work? It's at a school. I don't know how many kids. It's hundred kids, two hundred kids, something like that. And you're feeding them all tainted meat. Doesn't the faculty? 
eat any of this food? Surely they I don't know. It just seems um it just it just seems a weird plot line to me to get them to the lesson, which as I said, as you get to the end is Richie will not back to so so like I said, Richie has he's gonna re- do this follow up story, which is how I got the information to write the first story. To be honest, if I was the editor of the newspaper, I would say, How about Richie, you go out and you find more news? It's a little too early to start doing behind the scenes stuff on a story that was just published yesterday it seems a bad idea for an article i'm not sure why they would publish that article um you would think if you've just become a star reporter you would want you know a second article that's as important as the first article rather than a second article just saying how great you were that you wrote the first article and here's how it happened but then there's something about like the fact that he has to he has to because it's the truth he has to include the bit about fonz and the liver and um and it's like well you told me Fonz and it just it doesn't it doesn't make any sense why Richie's doing that I mean again he's he doesn't seem like like a 17 year old senior in high school he seems like a 10 year old who's learning well geez dad you told me to always tell the truth Richie you're 17 the Fonz is is more or less your best friend the Fonz has helped you out of so many scrapes the Fonz you know lives you know uh you know at your home with you don't do that. If he requests that, don't do that. You know, um, for all the times he's helped you, and the Fonz brings that up, for all the times I've helped you, don't do that. But he won't. It's the truth. It's so... I'm sorry, I just find it big, be dumb. In the end, I like it. When Richie finally realizes, oh wait, I shouldn't be doing this. I like that. I like the closing scene at the turkey, tr- the turkey hop. You know, when everyone's quiet and won't talk, and then the Fonz is trying to get over his fear of liver, and Richie says he's sorry, he'll take it out, and they become friends again. And then it all ends with the Fonz having a couple bites of liver, giving the thumbs up and leaving. And actually, it's great because as um, as the band is singing, you'll never walk alone from Mrs. C at the end of the turkey hop, you see some outside exterior nighttime footage of the Fonz going out to his motorcycle, getting on his motorcycle and taking off, which I think is a really sweet ending. So it's one of those episodes that it does have some laughs, I have a few good moments, um, but it's so weird because, like that, like I said, the first half with the, the guys in the meat seems almost kind of like, eh, just just gonna happen, kind of tossed off. You're like, yep, eh, this is happening, and then it's it's resolved so quickly. You're like, mm, whatever, and then the second half is so um. Just like, and and the thing too is like the the way the Fonz acts around Richie, like he goes in to say hi to everybody, and talking to everybody. Then the Richie shows up, and the Fonz kind of does a. <laughs> kind of turns his head and walks away very um camp very pantomime-ish kind of which makes you think like the Fonz doesn't seem like he's stopped being Richie's friend forever it just seems like he's being he's doing this for a little while it doesn't seem like the Fonz is taking this seriously so it just it ends up feeling where it's, it's it's a strange episode that I like but the sort of the two main plots I think that yeah that 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 meat the meat tainted meat plot in the first half of the, the reporter scene is just there's something off about it. Like I said, the the sequence in the kitchen should have some kind of mm, to it a bit of danger to it, and it's got nothing. And it doesn't make any sense that Fonzie suddenly wants to do a photo shoot, and and that's resolved t- kind of too quickly. But it wasn't that interesting anyway, so you're kind of happy it was resolved quickly. But then the second half with Richie doing that is just like the the world's dumbest sitcom lesson. It's it's almost like maybe like they originally wrote the script and the whole thing dealt with the meat guys, and then like whoever was in charge, maybe Lowell Gans or someone, said like this doesn't work for a full episode. Do something else in the second half. So they came up with the liver thing, 
And maybe someone said, hey, guys, this lesson that Richie's learning, you know, this is the sort of lesson that, you know, like, like Opie would have learned in the second season of Andy Griffith. You know, and Opie was, I don't know, eight, nine. I don't know how old Opie, Opie was, like, younger than that. You know, this is Richie. Richie should know by now to not do that. And it doesn't mean, so even, even Mr. C, when he's talking to Richie and saying you shouldn't do this, is basically like, and he, he says what, what I think, what I thought, which is, What's the point? You know, you told your story. You you made good. You helped the school. You know, a lot of kids aren't, aren't going to get sick now because of you, and they caught these criminals. So then you do a follow-up story where you sort of kind of insult your best friend, and you make your best friend into possible sort of like laughing stock. Why would you do that? Well, a Fonzie says you always tell the truth. Oh, and even Mr. C is like, oh, Christ, boy. What is the point of what you're doing? It's ridiculous. Don't do it. And at that point, Richie's like, and I do like it. Where, are you telling me not to publish it? And and then Mr. C says, you know what? I've seen a lot of, um, you know, I've seen a lot, a lot of, you know, um, and I think, I think, um, I think the point Mr. C makes, which is the best point, is that, you know, when you reported on the two guys who were stealing the meat and making kids sick, that's the truth. That's a good thing. The Fonz didn't do anything wrong, so why do you want to hurt him? And that's kind of the moment. He's like, I'm not, I'm not telling you to do this, that, or the other thing. I'm giving you my opinion. I don't think you should do it. And Richie decides not to do it in the end, which I guess makes Richie something or other, not a, not a douche for another day. But you can really see it, I think, at this point, that Richie is becoming... Um, it's, it's, like I said, it's weird. They're, they're, they're like, the lessons are reverting. Like, this isn't a grown-up lesson. To le- well, maybe it is with some people in power lately that, that you should be nice to people um but this isn't a thing you would learn as a, i mean if, if i had something like this like if i was writing for a school paper i was doing a um like if i was doing a video um for th- that's what i would have been doing in senior high school i would have been doing a video or something and if i like got something and if i like, completed my video project but i also got something on the video like a friend like embarrassing himself or herself or just some doing something they didn't want to be shown you know i wouldn't include that if they said don't put that in there because that's that's mean that's that's not nice. But the fact that it takes so much talking to Richie for and, and I mean let's I mean at the end of the day the thing I really like is and again this is when you Richie I think it's just Richie being stupid, where Richie um where Richie says he wants to publish this thing and say this thing about the Fonz because it's like you know, it's like everyone wants to take the Lone Ranger's mask off. And this is like taking the mask off, you know, revealing the man behind the Fonz. And the Fonz's initial response is people wanted to take the Lone Ranger's mask off? He's completely confused as to why people will want to do that. And then in the end, there's a really lovely moment where, you know, where Richie says, why is this so important to you? And the Fonz basically says, you know, you mentioned the Lone Ranger. The thing about it was that, yeah, a lot of people tried to take the Lone Ranger's mask off, but Tonto never did. And it's a really, it's a really sweet moment. It's a really sweet moment, which you get to through a really dumb lesson in a slightly dumb episode. But like I said, it's, 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 it's worth a viewing. And when I was a kid, I loved it a lot more because I like seeing uh, Fonzie cower from the liver. Um, now that scene just kind of drives me up the wall. Cause I don't know why Fonzie is, is not doing what he's supposed to be doing. You know, like if you were, if you had a friend who said, okay, I'm going to go undercover into some, I'm going to go undercover into this kitchen. 
because I hear they're using they're it's very unsanitary and I'm going to take my camera and go to cover I'm going to get pictures of everything okay good luck when are you going to do that uh tomorrow at four okay and so if your friend was down there would you go down there as he was trying to be undercover taking pictures of things it'd be like hey man how you doing oh your camera let me get a picture of you before you do anything let me get a picture of you hey, man I'm, I'm actually trying to take some no 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 come on man be cool let's do this does that make sense no does the funds doing it make sense no is it a sitcom thing unfortunately yes um should there be better sitcom things there are but not in this episode so that's 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 the main portion of the muckrakes i want to talk about the other portion i'd like to talk about briefly and well first off of course thanksgiving this is thanksgiving adjacent it ends with the um turkey hop which um i mean i'm guessing this year that that the thanksgiving this was tuesday night i'm guessing the thanksgiving was was the thursday so um that's fun it's weird um well i I guess the other thing we'll talk we'll talk briefly about Joni. now i always use Joni as the um now now again i think we're in the vicinity of either thanksgiving 58 or 59 i think it's 58 um, and the reason why I think it's 58 is just because this is season four and I know that, well, I guess we'll have to see because I know that we're going to get a Christmas adjacent episode soon. And then in two seasons, we're going to get another full on Christmas episode, which is Christmas 60. So this is either Christmas 58 or Christmas 59. Again, stuff that happens in here isn't that helpful. We hear some Everly Brothers tunes. They mention it's at Stan Musil. I forget they mentioned baseball player, but he played baseball at the Cardinals till St. Louis Cardinals till 63. So that's that's no help either. Um, so yeah, there there isn't really a lot of help. I guess let me look let me look up standby. Let me look up one thing. Yes, I did just spend about two or three minutes looking up short shorts. Uh, 1957. Short shorts have been around for a long time. I'm not going to go into exactly what they are. They became hot pants in the early 70s, but they're short shorts here. And it's, uh, what is it? Um, the Royal Teens did a song. We, we who wear short shorts. Da, 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 da. Not, a, not a great song. Much like a Shaboom Shaboom that ends this. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, 1958, um, uh, short shorts was a huge hit. And there is a scene in this where Joni is wearing short shorts and says all the girls are wearing short shorts or something like that. Now, she's in the bikini wearing short shorts. And, of course, it's November. So um, we'll, we'll talk about her short shorts in a minute. Um, and I know what you're thinking. Dan quit Pervin on short shorts. Well, I had to look. Everything, everything's up in the air. Now I have to look up something else, okay? Looking up Shaboom, by the way, um, doesn't help. I, th- I thought I'd look up Shaboom, Shaboom. You know, life could be a dream. Da 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 da. Because they sing that at the end of the. Um, they sing that at the end of the the uh, the turkey trot. The you you know what I mean. And um, yeah, and you'll never walk alone doesn't really help either because that's from uh, Carousel, which is 1945 and was. Yeah. Now, again, just looking up songs, the, you know, with Bye Bye Love has been playing for, I think that was early 58 or whatever it was we said it, and Short Shorts doesn't help, and Shaboom doesn't help, and, and You'll Never Walk Alone really doesn't help either, because they're songs that probably would have been played at that time. You'll Never Walk Alone is specifically Mrs. C's favorite song. And it's funny with Shaboom, because life could be a dream. Da da da. But if you just sing the word Shaboom, Shaboom. Da, 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 da. It sounds idiotic, and that's all they say. And you're like, I'm sitting there watching them go shaboom, shaboom. It's funny, like Richie Ponzi and Ralph. For some reason, they're never comfortable looking as a band for me. And when they have to sing shaboom, shaboom, da, 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 shaboom, just nonsense lyrics, they seem even more uncomfortable to me, which I find amusing. 
so the music doesn't help in this one and the short shorts thing doesn't really help either because there's a scene in the beginning where Joni is in a bathrobe and uh, keeping in mind I will say uh, I looked up Aaron Moran was 16 and I think Joni's still meant to be 14 I believe she does make it Jenny Piccolo Jenny Piccolo comes up again apparently when Richie and Fonz have their falling out and the Fonz um, breaks off the friendship with Richie and Arnold's and breaks the Richie's pen which is very symbolic um, and he storms out Jenny Piccolo is there I didn't see her did you see her I know what she looks like I didn't see her but anyway going back to the scene where um, uh, Joni wants this dress lovely dress like a, a red I think it's a red dress I forget what it is now, but she looks great in it and um, and they do thing where uh, wear something that your father's going to hate show it to him and then come back with something else and then you, that's not as like revealing or crazy and your dad will go yeah do that and so uh, when Mr. C comes down to see what Joni's wearing Joni has a bathrobe on like bathrobe and shoes uh, you can see a bathrobe and shoes and when she opens it up she has like a bikini on it's like a very large top almost like um almost like she's wearing circus tent like over her chestal region and um then like shorts pulled up over her navel I don't want to see any navel I know I you I was able to get away with not seeing it through five years of I Dream of Jeannie five, I Dream of Jeannie was on for five years what did that show do for five years um, I'd like to see it now. Um, but it's up over and in, but they're very short shorts. I mean, way high up on the thigh. And, of course, Joni is meant to be, what, 14 or whatever, and Aaron Moran is 16. So the the way she reveals herself is like she's flashing her dad and the audience. So, you know, you look and you're like, hey, hey. It's a bit of a strange scene because they're clearly showing her off. Um, but they shouldn't be. And you can hear... It's weird in the crowd. You can hear the crowd. The moment she throws open the thing, her, her the thing, her bathrobe, the crowd kind of, you hear the crowd kind of go, <laughs> kind of like the crowd is about to go like, hey, yeah, woo, woo, yeah. But, but they kind of go, and then it kind of goes, kind of fades away and there's nothing there. And I'm wondering if, because it, listen to it. It, it, you know, because when the, the first thing you'd think, this being the mid 70s, the moment she throws open the robe and she's in this little bikini, you would think the I mean, she's standing there like, look at me. Uh, you'd think the crowd would go, yeah. But they kind of, like I said, they kind of go, yeah. And I'm wondering either the crowd had, you know, the good taste to not go, yeah, um, seeing this um, underage girl, you know, showing herself off. Um, or um, possibly like maybe the people who like warmed everyone up was were like standing there in the moment like the moment Joni does this don't go crazy don't start whistling and hooting and some people started to and maybe like they were like waving them down or something or I like this the best because go listen to it again because you really hear the crowd begins to go and then they kind of what it almost feels like to me is because you know and forgive me, I got some windows open today because it's kind of a cool day and a plane just went by. Sorry. To me, what it feels like is um, uh, they're sweetening. You know how they sweeten the um, the laughs and stuff to add a little extra laughs here if there are no laughs. Maybe take down the laughs here. What it sounds to me is like maybe they were sitting there watching it and the crowd just went wild. The wolf whistles and everything. I mean, that's the way it's presented. And... And maybe Gary Marshall was there and like, wait, we can't do that. You can't do that. Take that down. We can't take it all out because there's like there's like a, a bit of a laugh 
and then she throws open her robe and the laugh sort of segues into the crowd starting to go hey and he's like okay we'll just fade it out so maybe the crowd went like there's a bit of a laugh and then all this kind of nonsense but they the moment the first moment they could they like turned it down that's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like the crowd was about to go wild for Joni in her in her bikini, and um, someone you know a clearer head said, "Yeah, but that probably shouldn't happen." Although I bet you there were other sitcoms where gals of that age um, got hoots and hollers like that. But um, but yeah, they turned that down. The interesting thing is that when Joni comes down a few minutes later and she's in this lovely red dress. You get all the hoots and wolf whistles and everything like that. <laughs> it's it's almost like it. What it almost feels like, and and some of it's what it almost feels like is maybe like they, you know, Guillermo used to fade that out, take the wolf whistles and everything out of the bikini shot, and put that into the red dress shot instead. Why do you know? Let's not waste them. I don't. But it's it's a bit of a weird moment to me because. Obviously, we know Joni's growing up. As I said before, she's our sort of anchor in the show. We watch her um, get older, and that's the passing of the time. And this is, I mean, the first real big moment where it's been like, Joni's growing up. Have a look. And, and and I don't say that like a perv. I say like they're doing. I mean, I'm sure when I saw that as a kid, I would have fallen off my chair. I saw it now, and I think, oh, Aaron Moran, you left us too soon. I miss you. Um, and uh, and Joni's growing up. That's the point of the of the show, too. You know, Chuck has grown out of this world, and Joni's growing up. And but yeah, it's 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 interesting, yeah, because just the way they do that. And then of course, Mister C knows what trick they're playing. Is like, why do they do this all the time? And there's a, there's a interesting one more interesting moment. Well, it's great to see Joni in her new dress when Fonzie is trying to eat his, the liver, and Mister Mrs C are there and they're watching him try to eat the liver. Just she's very ecstatic. She's excited. I get the feeling like even though we haven't had a lot of Joni, very few Joni led episodes, I think Aaron Moran, you could see her sort of like getting more and more confident with herself. And just kind of like, she's got, she's got the, she's got the charisma. She, she did. She, she when she was a, you know, a bratty little kid in the first season. She was, she was, she was very funny, and now she's still kind of got the bit of the brattiness, but she's growing up, and um, you can see her kind of like. As when they cut to Mr. and Mrs. C sitting in the booth and Joni's kind of in the next booth, like kneeling on, on the thing, like looking over her parents' shoulder, just the big smile on her face, just she pulls you right to it. And so she's got the charisma that the that the main it's a, it's a very charismatic cast. And so she's that, that charisma, it's it's gone from being a cute little kid to being like a woman, uh, charismatic and actress, you know, and it's it's cool it's cool to see and it will increase as the show goes on regardless of what dumb things they do to her hair uh later on um but but yeah so that's an interesting and and then and then you see her like in um uh mrs c is um uh fixing her you know uh joni has like a blouse and like shorts on that go up right above her knee and mrs c is like sewing something on the sewing machine isn't working and there's a great bit where the fawns refuses to fix the sewing machine because he says, I can't do it because Richie is there. But then as he's leaving, he turns, looks around, puts his hand on the sewing machine, gives it a pow, and the sewing machine starts up, which is really cool. Um, but it's, it's interesting because, yeah, the Fonz walks in, uh, starts talking to Mrs. C, looks at Junie and says, hey, you got nice legs there, shortcake, hey, and walks away. And that's got to be great for Joan, I mean, to have the Fonz say she has nice legs. And it, it's nice because he doesn't say, like, hey, you got nice... He says, hey, you got nice legs. And it's... It, she, she does. She does. So, so um, that's that's a... That's an interesting... I mean, 
I, I wish we saw more of Fonz and Joni just hanging out and doing their thing because I think it's great. So, and I think I think that's about it. There is a there is a nice to me a callback to um, uh, the Christmas episode. Uh, Guess who's coming to Christmas? Uh, involving some slides. And that is, and then I'll stop talking about this episode. Uh, uh, there's a moment where um, where uh, the uh, Mr. C's working on Joni's outfit there, and Mr. C is looking at slides like through a little slide projector kind of thing. Oh, Yellowstone Park! How long has it been since I was that thin? Is it the picture with you and the bear? Yes, 1945. And then the Fonz comes in and starts talking to everyone, and then sees Mr. C with the slide thing. He says, "Hey, Mr. C, you don't do that with ladies around." And and Mr. C kind of rolls his eyes, and the Fonz kind of looks around a bit surreptitiously takes the slides looks at him and there's a great sort of double take henry winkler does at the slides he's like i see a bear a chubby kid and a thin guy what am i looking at which is really great and reminded me of Joni getting the view master and guess who's coming to christmas and um uh you know constantly tricking the fawns into thinking uh that something sexy was going on in there which is great so i'm going to stop talking about the muckrakers now we're going to go on to aka the Fonz. I gave you the date already on this one. This is written by Brian Levant, Levant, L-E-V-A-N-T, and of course directed by Jerry Paris. Do you remember Kirk, Officer Kirk, the the real big jackass, authoritarian jackass from previous episodes? Well, this one he's been named sheriff. The previous sheriff had just died in some sort of accident involving trying to change a tire without a jack. It's um, Joni says it's pretty gruesome. Uh, it seems a little odd to me, but uh, maybe Kirk had him killed. Uh, but Kirk is now sheriff, and he wants uh, people he deems undesirable out of Milwaukee within the next 24 hours, and that includes the Fonz. So this episode becomes about the Fonz uh, not going to move, but then what happens is um, Mr. C calls a, a meeting of the the leper. I was going to say the Badgers or the Hedgehogs, the Leopard Lodge. I think it's Leopards, right? Is that not the... Um, Sons of the, I was going to say the Sons of the Desert. And um, Kirk shows up at Mr. C's house during this meeting and basically threatens every single person there. And they're like, okay, we're not going to help the Fonz. We don't want to lose this or lose that or whatever. And, and the Fonz eventually has to make a decision, you know. It's because Kirk was going after him. It didn't work. Now he's going after his friends and, like, friends of his friends. And does the Fonz stay in town or does he... What does the Fonz do um, against this really awful character? And we get to... Yes, we are going to talk a little bit more about... Um, you know what I might play here? There's there's an episode which you may have heard or you may not have heard um, with uh, Joanna Wilson and my, myself talking about Christmas time, the season six episode. Christmas episode, season six Christmas episode. Now what you're saying, Dan, you're in season four. You're in the first half of season four. How could season six be up? Hey, calm down. But in that, we discuss brief then i actually took it out of our discussion because it wasn't quite pertinent but we mentioned briefly the weird state of sitcoms as the 70s went along and we got into the 80s and um i may include that on here i'm going to listen to that again before i finish recording this because this thing with kirk is one of these sitcom things that drives me um up the wall um and let me let me play you this we'll get we'll come right back
So Kirk is back. I think he was in the last season. We'll see him a few more times. He's a real jackass. Uh, he's um, when asked why he wants the Fonz run out of town. He says like, I don't like the way he looks and I don't like the way he dresses or something like that. Immediately assuming I'm through no, with no proof that um, what he believes is true and he's going to act on that. Um, I'll be honest. Um, I used to find Kirk vaguely amusing in November 2020 as I'm recording this. I find a character like Kirk to be just so tiresome, and I can't wait for him to get him to get his comeuppance and for the for, frankly for the episode to end. Um, there's just something about how he's he's completely overstepping all of his authority when I mean he's literally saying like Fonzie, you have 24 hours to leave town. How does how does that work? The the Fonz hasn't done anything illegal. He's, he's being asked to leave town uh, because of the way he looks and the way he dresses. And, and Richie brings up that it's like Senator McCarthy, you know, who didn't have any proof for all the shit he did. Uh, you know, and finally, the, the you know, the Senator of the Congress, I, I forget, you know, they, they told him, the, the government said, shut up. Shut, shut up, Senator. You know, the Senate, yeah, she told him to shut up. And, and but but by that time, lives had already been ruined and everything. So, so someone like Kirk is um, a McCarthy variation. I, I would hesitate to... Um, well, I would hesitate to call out um, someone else who is is in power and hopefully won't be in power, uh, shouldn't be in power too much longer in the U.S. who um, throws out f- lies and half-truths and random generalizations without any concept of what the heck he's talking about just because of what his addled mind thinks. And that's sort of what Kirk is to me. And, uh, and the tricky thing is that obviously the Fonz isn't going to be leaving, so this just means that Kirk has shown up again and is going to bluster and be stupid and then get 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 hauled out in his butt in the end. In fact, in the end, they say that he's lost the temporary sheriff thing. His like his second in command, who's pretty level headed throughout, is taking over, and like um, uh, Kirk has been been knocked down to like crossing guard, and as uh, Richie said, like teaching the kids how to march. It's it's um. It's a weird episode because you get to see how much everyone loves the Fonz, which is cool. I mean, that's that's the thing. Like, as I, I I've said this before with these episodes, that some of these episodes aren't very good, sort of in general. But when you get to the end, they they add to the the mythos or the story of the show, as it were. So, like the previous episode, the Mudcrakers had the thing with you know the Lone Lone Ranger. Everyone tried to take off the Lone Ranger's mask, but Tonto never did. And the sort of solidification of the Fonz and 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 Richie's friendship making it even stronger. And this has like the community actually stepping forward to defend the Fonz against the sheriff who's gone out of his effing mind, probably injecting himself with something he shouldn't be. Bleach. I don't know. It's not. It's 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 one of those episodes where it's not a um. It's not a great episode. I don't know that it's a very good episode, but at the end, it's satisfying because they do get Kirk the hell out of there, and everyone proves that they love the Fonz. The problem is the steps it takes to get there, like the opening scene with Kirk um, kind of browbeating and abusing everyone in Arnold's, and then the scene where he somehow he goes into um, uh, the, the Cunningham's house and is able to sort of browbeat and assault and, and threaten everyone in the house, in his house. They're not doing anything. He says, well, it's, um, you're illegally assembling because uh, you don't have an American flag here. And it's like, what are, what are you talking about? You know, that, that's crazy. Is that is that a law? If that is a law, that law blows a fat goat. And it's, it's great because there is the joke in the end where um, um, 
when because because it ends with the Fonz basically in Arnold's in the middle of the night saying to Kirk, "I'm leaving town. Quit picking on everyone. Give everyone back what you've taken away." And as the Fonz is going to leave, suddenly everybody starts showing up dressed as the Fonz, and they all stand and they all turn on Kirk and say, "Hey, Kirk, you know you can you can shove it." You could shove it way up there, you piece of garbage. Um, and um, and there's a great moment where he says, "Well, I'm gonna write you out a ticket for illegal assembly." And then Arnold, like, uh, or Al, pulls a uh, little American flag out of his pocket, and he's like, "What? We got a flag?" Which is a nice bit. And then the Fonz is touched that everyone tried to help him out. And and, and again, it's like the lesson we learned in. The, the lesson that the muckrakers, I guess, was teaching us to me was a baloney lesson for a 17-year-old to learn, but got us to a good point in the end. The way this episode gets us to the good point in the end to show that everyone does love the Fonz in the, in the community and cares for the Fonz, I think is, is, is ham, ham-handed, hack, hackneyed, hack, it's, it's not a good, I, I don't think it's a good, I don't think it's a good way there. You know, you do, do get a funny moment where the Fonz dresses up kind of like a nerdy guy, and but can't do it, and, and, um... You, you do get to see the one guy in the Leopard Lodge, the one who's sitting next to Mr. C, who's like, um, who's, I like Senator McCarthy, you know, who'd like be the guy who would, you know, um, yeah, you know who he'd support. Um, and you, you just, and I guess there's got to be a guy like that in every group like this. And you do get to see um, Ralph's dad, not the same dad that we saw previously when the Fonz was having trouble seeing. Um, this is a different dad. This is a dad played by Dr. Hale from the first regular episode of Gemini Man. You know him. Uh, Sam, my patent papers are, you know, if you've seen Riding with Death on MST, you know him. And he and he's as silly as, as Ralph's dad was. But, um, but yeah, there's something about Kirk. Like, he, he was a jackass when we saw him previously. Now he's a sheriff. He's even more of a jackass. And um, there's just something about, like, the way he like bullies everyone and abuses everyone and there's nothing they can do like the look on Richie's face when he sees what Kirk does and he gets everyone to leave his house and he bullies his dad is just um is not not pleasant I I don't get any joy out of that and the the episode certainly has funny moments I mean when 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 they're all in uh, the men's room and um the Fonz is is making fun of of uh, Kirk, that's fun, and the, mo- the 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 confrontation between Kirk and Fonz when the Fonz is going to leave is actually really quite nicely done. Um, the the tricky thing with the episode, apart from the fact that I think it's cack handed, I don't I don't know what word I'm using for. Uh, apart from the fact that I think it's just overdone, the Kirk I think it's just overdone, and which I've already said. Um, but I think the tricky thing with the episode is that, and here's where I might play you a little bit of. Um, Somewhere in here, play a little bit of Joanna uh, talking and myself talking about sort of the way the sitcom died in the late 70s into the 80s. I mentioned this in the previous one where the two, um, the two guys who were basically poisoning and making the students sick at the high school got a lot of laughs from the audience. And this one, Kirk gets a ton of laughs. In fact, when I look up Kirk online, he's played by a well-known comedian. Yeah, but he sure ain't funny here. But boy, the crowd is in hysterics when he's abusing everyone and he's yelling at everyone. The crowd is laughing and laughing. And you know what? Crowd, you shouldn't be. He's a horrible character. He's a horrible character. Think think of it this way. You're, You're laughing at Kirk one minute for... Fine, illegally fining our uh, Al, um, yelling at Mr. C, browbeating Mr. C in front of Richie, um, p- 
pulling all sorts of illegal tactics because he's in a position of power, saying that he wants people to leave town in 24 hours, which is, as far as I know, completely illegal. And yet, during these scenes, you're laughing at him, and you're laughing at him. But then a few minutes later, when they're all in the men's room and um, Kirk is going after the Fonz and the Fonz keeps coming back with the jokes, making fun of Kirk, you're laughing at that, too. You can't laugh at both. You can't laugh at both. The guy you were just laughing at, who's basically abusing and insulting and belittling your main characters, now being belittled and insulted, now being sort of insulted and belittled himself by one of the main characters, you can't, you can't have both. It, is, it isn't that sort of thing. You know, if he was a crazy, Ming the Merciless, ridiculous style villain, then maybe you could laugh at both. But the thing is, Kirk isn't funny. When he's doing all that stuff, he isn't funny. But the audience laughs and laughs. But then when, like I said, when the Fonz is insulting him, which is what the, the, the audience laughs and laughs, which is when they should be laughing. But because it's a sitcom, at this time, you laugh at everything. And I'll, I'll, play, I'll play this little bit from Joanna and myself right here. You know, it's, it's funny. We, we talked about um, sitcoms. And I, 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 I'm thinking about you just talking about the, sort of the death of the sitcom, as it were, in the 80s. And um, and how this is sort of this uh, one of those spaces where that begins from, and that that's one of those things when you said that I always knew that in my mind, but I'd never heard it articulated before. And thank you for saying that because I think that's pretty fascinating. And I think yeah, you started talking about '60s sitcoms, um, which you can't really go very far talking about '60s sitcoms without talking about just the escapism. In almost all of them, everything yes. from um, <laughs> Mr. Ed to yeah. um, the Flying My Nun to yeah. yes to Bewitched to uh, I mean like on and on and on about the escapism and, and Vietnam. <laughs> People mm-hmm. wanted to see comedies that had nothing to do with oh and I Dream a Genie and Gilligan's Island, all these things, Monsters, even Brady yeah. Bunch. Brady Bunch and sure, Adam's yeah. family. Brady Bunch is too perfect. A family, a family affair. Again, perfect yes. families. They don't want to deal with anything that has any kind of conflict, because you're in the middle of you're watching the war on TV. You're watching Vietnam. People's families members are dying. TV was about escapism, and I absolutely believe that that bleeds over into things like Petticoat Junction and um, Beverly Hillbillies, and even Green Acres, the absurdism, it's all about escapism and not having to deal with reality. And, and so the, 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 all those sitcoms influence then what happens, and everybody gets sick of that escapism too, because then as soon as All in the Family comes in, boom, you know, you've got a huge yes. landmark. All the sitcoms change. They all go from escapism to realism. Now we're dealing with the truth. We're dealing with real issues. We're talking about, you know, gun control. We're talking about drugs. We're talking about hippies. We're talking about the failure, the Watergate. You're talking about Nixon. You're talking about, you know, all those things that are hard hitting. You went from one extreme to the other. And there, you know, and then all those Norman Lear sitcoms are dealing with um, all of those issues and racism and what it is to be black in America and what it is to be mm-hmm. impoverished in America and um, what it is to be a woman in America with Maud. And then it, we've got the eighties <laughs> sitcoms okay. collapsed. It's, it's yes. that whole, 
It's just utterly fascinating. Um, the fact that you're, you know, breaking it down and talking about these individual um, sitcoms in this whole history is really fascinating. When you got to the 80s, there was just this this weird thing where um, you had all those shows where they, they felt they had to have a lesson or something in them, and they interrupted the comedy. And I think shows just kind of a lot of the 80s shows, I love quite a few of them, but I just don't think they're sort of as funny as a lot of the other shows, too. And they're not. And that's part of the problem is I think writers, writers, I think, just got lazy. But I also think it they didn't know where next to go because you had gone from yeah. such an extreme, yeah. the 60s escapism, the 70s realism. Well, now what? And yeah. I, it's a whole industry. Yeah. Where where do we go? And there were very successful sitcoms in the 80s. And in the late 70s and the 80s, at the same time, as as a whole, the, the whole genre didn't know how to redefine itself yet. And it, it took the collapse of the industry into the you know late 80s and, and 90s for them to have to reinvent. And a lot of that is Seinfeld. Seinfeld decided to just throw yeah. away the entire throw away the entire genre and just start something new. Um, and in that way, that's utterly fascinating. And what's we're continuing to see that that spiral of reinventing something new. The very successful sitcoms that we have today are different. They're not a part of this history of what the sitcom went through. And really, the sitcom was just an extension of radio comedies, you know, from the 40s and the 50s anyway. All they did, they didn't, TV sitcoms didn't start anything new. They just picked up what was already successful on radio. And in fact, many times just carried over the exact same sitcoms with the same characters and the same successful yeah. models on radio. So it's interesting how that has evolved and where we are now um, and what, yeah. what successful, what influences. It's, I find all this stuff fascinating. So I love that you're yeah. examining and talking about it and talking about it in a, in a, in an overview general way, even down to talking and breaking down individual episodes and how these mm -hmm. participate in the larger general um, trends. I love that. That's great. Thank you. I, I, I think it was the moment when like the, the Norman Lear sitcoms were doing their thing. Um, but I think it's the moment sort of as the seventies went along and, and you got the eighties where you started to get, you would occasionally get, well, no, I was going to say you occasionally get a silly show like Three's Company, but even Three's Company has episodes where they, they deal with stuff. And, and you, you just start to get shows like, like say, like, a, like Three's Company, which you just feel should be fun. And yet it has episodes where things get a little more serious. Or you have a show like Mr. Belvedere, which can't handle... It's not any really any good. It can't handle the sort of stuff that Norman Lear was doing. Not not that it went to those places, but you just sort of get to see as it go as the seventies go along and the eighties go along. You just start to see that yeah, like not only is the formula wearing thin, but you start to see that what these shows kind of want to do with the you know I've got a Happy Days episode playing right here. Smoking ain't cool. That's what made me think about the lessons because the very next episode after White Christmas is Smoking Ain't Cool, where Joni's going to learn a lesson about smoking. But she was just standing there smoking, and a very young Michael Dudikoff just came over and started talking to her. <laughs> and um, I don't know if 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 you know if I were Joni and suddenly he appeared, you know, like him or Red Brown or someone like that, I keep smoking. But I I think it's just um. As you, as as the time goes along, 
shows that shouldn't be using the format that Norman Lear sort of introduced are using the format, and it just can't. They just can't handle it. A show, a show like like I'll use Mr. Belvedere again. They just can't, just can't handle this format. And yeah, right. it's yeah, it was fun. It was funny. Yeah, with the '80s, I remember watching a lot of sitcoms, but rarely laughing. I'd have to go back a bit to to actually get laughs. But, uh, but yeah, that was uh, yeah, that'll be uh, Joanna. I will do a podcast where we discuss the um, the death of the sitcom. Joanna says that more efficiently than I could. The the sitcom was sort of beginning to crawl up its own behind. We weren't at the point of very special episodes right here, but um, th- this could have been a very special episode type thing where you know local law enforcement officer wants the Fonz thrown out of town because he thinks he's a hoodlum. When the Fonz won't leave, the cop goes after the Fonz as friends. What will the Fonz do? And will we all learn a lesson about, you know, the way someone looks and their actual character or some garbage like that? And so you get what this episode does, which I've talked about so many times before, and we talked about right there, that it it presents a bad guy, a bad guy who can actually accomplish bad things. I mean, this isn't like a joke guy. You know, this is like a comedy guy who's, like, not going to accomplish anything. Like, Kirk is writing people up. Kirk is taking stuff away from people. Kirk is, you know, the previous one, well, I think there was a curfew, right? He, he in the previous season, you know, Kirk can get stuff done in effect and hurt people's lives. That's not funny. And he's, well, he's nuts, and that's not funny. If he was a good person, then maybe that would be not funny, but helpful. But this, he's hurting people, and it's not funny. And yet, because it's a sitcom, and there has to be a constant barrage of laughter, you hear the audience laughing at Kirk when he ain't funny, and there's this dichotomy of why are they laughing at the bad guy when the bad guy is not pleasant? You know, and 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 and, and again, there's the the thing too when the Fonz is making fun of the bad guy, that's funny, and people are laughing. But a minute ago, they were just laughing at the bad guy, making fun of our characters the characters we like and that's not funny stop laughing and and i'm not saying the happy days brought down the sitcom the sitcom was um i don't know the sick i don't know the sitcom kind of maybe was always a mess I, I don't know i don't know trying to do a show where there's so much constant laughter um uh, unless you're at the absolute height of your game or the absolute sort of best you're um it ain't gonna work and you're just you're just hiring people to just write things that sound like jokes and and there there are a lot of there's a lot of shtick in this and all these episodes there are some some legitimately funny jokes in here most of the time the things that make me laugh in these episodes are like faces and and like responses like in the previous episode the moment that made me laugh the most was was Mr. C and Fonz and the slides and Mr. C looking at the slide which we know is of a thin Mr. C and a bear and yells and he Fonz thinks it's going to be naughty and you go from there um but I'll stop right there. I've, I've, I've talked, talked more than enough here. Like, like I said, it's not a bad episode, um, and you might be able to get in much more easier than I could. I used to be able to, but watching it this time, um, Kirk got on my nerves maybe more than he should have, and I'm glad when they kind of send him away in the end. I, I just want to end with a few episodes ago, we saw they had a piano. Mr. Smith C had a piano in their house, you remember? And they taught the little girl, and they kind of shoved her out the door so they could keep the plot going. Well, in this one, they get the piano delivered. 
So this one was obviously made before that one, and it ends with them all singing Moonlight Bay with um, Richie and Joni kind of doing, not the moon, but the bay, and the audience is in hysterics. And it is so weird because, yeah, the moment the piano is there, and the piano is the back of the piano is facing the camera and they're all facing us as they're playing and singing it looks so much like all in the family that you're like okay now we're completely a 1970s sitcom any any semblance of being something different or from another space or time is um is is gone completely right now let's start you know let's um is can we give Joni that perm yet and they're the they're the gals like when all everyone comes out dressed like the Fonz in the end there there's at least one gal there who's she's got bell-bottom jeans on maybe bell-bottom jeans were a thing in 1958 I'm saying no but I could be wrong and so that that piano sequence is really weird it does end with a great moment where um the Fonz says oh I love middle-class families which is fun um but it is also like that piano. I don't remember that piano figuring very heavily into things. And that I'm, I am guessing, I don't know for certain that that piano is meant to be up against the wall. Am I, am I right? Like just in the geography of the room? I mean, you wouldn't like, like if we have a piano and it's up against the wall. It doesn't sit like in the middle of our living room, like eight feet away from the wall in the middle of the room. It's up against it. That's what you do with pianos. You put them up against the wall. So presumably that's the wall right there right am i right i mean that would make sense huh i don't know but it's weird seeing the piano i don't know why the piano's there i don't know why they suddenly had to be i mean they mentioned that mrs c is going to start doing piano lessons which we saw three or four episodes ago but it looks a little weird to me um so so again like the muckrakers and the fawns not episodes i love episodes i enjoy that they are episodes that when they start off i'm like oh this one and then when it gets to the end, I'm like, I quite enjoyed that. But there are moments throughout where I'm like, why did they do that? Why are they doing that? Why is that there? Why are people laughing at that? It, it occurred to me when I was listening to Joanna and myself talk about that, that this Happy Days straddles this sort of era from the, you know, the um, when the Norman Lear style, cheap, current affairs, current situations, you know, uh, of the moment, shot on video, um, raucous audience type things, what's going strong, Happy Day shows up. And then in the mid-80s, when sitcoms had become really um, very special episode-y and very just not funny, that's when it ends. So it covers this huge swath of ground, which we'll be covering here, and I'll try to bring that up more as we go. But let me just stop right here. I think I've gone maybe a little overboard here. But let me let me stop right now and say thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you so much. And uh, we got what is the next one? I'm going to look. Cracking a DVD out of the case here. We are going to Richie Branches Out, which is December 7th, 1976. Ooh, Christmas adjacent. And then we're going to 1977, Fonzie's Old Lady. Oh, Fonz, what are you up to? Hmm. Okay, so those are the next two. And, um, yeah, everyone be good to yourselves. And uh, I will talk to you very, very soon. Be cool.